Welcome to It's a Good Life, a podcast dedicated to helping you live your best one. Here's your host, Brian Buffini. Well, the top of the morning to you. Welcome to It's a Good Life. I'm your host, Brian Buffini. And today we're going to talk about one element of the good life. And you guys might have figured this out by now, that the good life costs money. Have you ever noticed that? You know, you go on vacation. That's part of the good life. Those things cost money. And you don't want to be broken down on the side of the road in a car that can't get you around. You know, you want a good car, you need a few bucks. One of my great stories I tell for years is when I first did the Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, when I fly down to the south. Here's this white guy from the south side of Dublin meeting his girlfriend's family who are African-Americans. And we're at this family reunion in South Carolina in the mid-80s. And I talked to Beverly's grandfather, and he gives me a word of advice. And he says, remember, romance without finance leads to the ambulance. And that's when I figured out, hey, man, take care of my granddaughter here. And we have someone today that we have a bit of history together. (laughs) And uh, I'm sure we'll get into that. His name is Derek Kinney. And Derek Kinney is the CEO of Good Money Framework and the host of a really cool podcast called Good Money Podcast. And Derek has a new book. He's hitting it on all fronts now, and it's called Good Money Revolution. And I know a lot of you folks are book buyers and readers. I had a chance to be on Derek's podcast uh, here recently, and his passion to help people make more money and do more good. And Derek, it's great to have you on the show. Congrats with the new book and the show, and uh, we're delighted to have you on the It's a Good Life today. Well, thank you, Brian. It's great to be with you. Big fan, and it's a joy to be with you. We have a little bit of history uh, together. You you were in the financial services business, and you went to many of the seminars we put on over the years, wrote a bunch of goals, built up your business yourself, built your business to the point of selling it. And now here you are with this show, with this great insight. It's very rewarding to see this and to know whatever little influence we had on you, you took it and you ran with it, and now you're just killing it. And so just to give the folks uh, listening, because, you know, there's half a million people listening to the day who may be the next Derek Kinney. They might have been to the seminars. They might be a podcast listener, and uh, they're going to go through the same evolution as you and have their own influence uh, one day, which would be a great joy. Maybe you could give us a little background on yourself. Where did you come from? Where did you grow up? And how did you end up where you are today? Yeah, yeah. So I uh, grew up and uh, was born in Washington State and uh, then moved six times before the sixth grade. So moved all over the country. Dad would either get a new job, lose a job. But as we talk right now, Brian, I'm here in Arlington, Texas, home of the Texas Rangers, Dallas Cowboys, Dallas-Fort Worth area. And this is home. So from the sixth grade on, uh, went to elementary school, junior high, high school, went to college here. And I really credit Arlington with really helping me discover something that really helped me be successful in business. And that was when you can help people feel appreciated and understood and valued, they will go to the wall for you. And when I was in high school, I was teased a lot. My nose is a lot bigger than the national average. And I was, uh, (laughs) believe me, people let me know about it. And I had this idea. Didn't speak with a Texas twang as well, right? (laughs) That's right. All those things together. So my mom gave me a book called Go For It by a woman named Judy Zarefa. And it was a book about how to survive the teenage years. And there was a chapter of all things on how to be popular. And what I decided to do was I was going to run for office. And so I concocted this plan to run for student body president my junior year, which would be my senior year in high school. And what I looked at, Brian, was I saw all around the school, I saw these pockets of people 
by themselves, all these nobodies, but with the heart of a somebody. And I saw the athletes and the cowboys and the rock and roll crowd and the band crowd. And I had this idea. I was going to get a picture with all of the leaders of these groups with me saying, hey, vote for Derek. Hey, let's rock the vote with Derek. And what happened was I went on to win the election that day. And it wasn't a win for me. It was a win for all those nobodies, but with the heart of a somebody, because suddenly I helped them have a voice. And it was that moment for me, Brian, that really let me get a, a foretaste into business of if you can help people get what they want in their lives, because not many people do, the unlimited doors of opportunity will soon make their way available to you. Sure. And which is the great Zig Ziglarism, who, it's the great, great by Ziglar. the way, although he was from Yazoo City, Mississippi, spent most of his time in Texas and was a great mentor to me and helped me along. And, and speaking of that, you know, he had another little phrase. He would say, money isn't the most important thing in life, but it is reasonably close to oxygen on the gotta have it <laughs> scale. So uh, let's dive in right to that. Let's talk right to the heart of the matter. Why is money good? Well, money is good because of the good that you can do with it. And one of the reasons, the catalyst that led me to sell my 25-year financial planning business was I would hear people say these things. And I would hear the media talk about that if you have a lot of money and you're successful, well, you're bad. There was clearly something you did to get that money by ill-gotten gain. Now, what I realized was people who were in the circle of making money, adding value, they were not having that discussion. This was simply what was being lobbed by the media and by other people who were critical and villainizing people with money. And, and what I realized was, where did that come from? And I began to think back, you know, some people have some really rotten money beliefs, and they probably were founded at the kitchen table growing up. They might have seen mom and dad bang their fist on the table or grandma and grandpa and say, if only we had more money, then we could do these things. And it's the haves with the money and the have-nots, and we're in the have-not family. And I just wanted to, to, to write this book for people to say, look, if you've ever been told you're not smart enough, you're not good enough, you're not talented enough, or maybe you've made a mistake that you were told you can't bounce back from, this is a reset button for you to say, Go make money, go make a lot of it, but use it for good to not just improve your family, but to improve the world around you. So when you lay your head on the pillow at night, you know that you've added value to people's lives, but you've also added meaning to people's lives. And can you really put a price tag on that? Well, I think the timing is perfect. I mean, right now, resources are weaponized. Yeah. And what I mean by that is it's a great political narrative. And there are people who have found out, like, because there's always people, envy is a powerful thing. Greed is a powerful thing. And it's very easy to pillarize people, especially with the frustrations that they might be experiencing themselves. So we've categorized people as the one percenters. And uh, we have the haves and the have-nots. And different political ideologies are being articulated around these things today. Here's the thing. When someone in America drives past someone with a big house, they go, you know, that's going to be me someday. If someone in Ireland drives past the house, they go, who do they have to screw over to get there? And I'm not saying that's the belief in Ireland today, but it's the way it's been politicized and so on and so forth. And my experience has been, I grew up without money. And there's, like I say, to me, there's broke and there's poor. Broke's the state of account, poor's the state of mind. And I had both. And as I've gone through the journey, I would have, there were times I had money, so I was no longer broke, but my thinking was still poor. 
And I had to change my thinking and change my bank account when it came to money. But in my world today, you know, I sit on a bunch of boards and I sit on boards with many, many millionaires over like billionaires and people worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And I would say 90% of the most generous people I ever met in my life. These are people who were given away big portions of what they earned before they were rich and now just give away vast fortunes. We get on boards and they're talking about how to do it and how to give and how to do this and building universities and doing this and doing that. And it's one of the wild things. And one of the things I say all the time, you know, people never talk about it. America's the most generous country in the world. And so this generosity that you're tapping into and this generosity, which is also a generosity of spirit and of attitude and of heart, isn't just justification. Oh, I, I screw people over. And, and, and there's a little bit of that going on today. They'll go, I'm going to screw people over left, right, and center, and then I'm going to try to save the planet. I'm like, how about you try to save a relationship now? And I think it's important that we delve into this. Doing good works with money is not a justification for bad behavior in the acquiring of it. But I think money is good, and it can be used for good, and that's what I love what you're doing with it. You talk a little bit about these good money levers. And I'd love you to talk about that just in the practical sense of what that actually looks like. Well, a couple of years ago, I always liked to update my net worth. I call it the report card for adults. It doesn't lie. It tells you how much you own, how much you owe. In one particular year, Brian, I saw my net worth number really soar. So much so I had to double check it and even triple check it. And what I realized was I was putting into practice some very subtle money moves that dramatically impacted my financial situation. One was I was saving more money, but I wasn't just chucking the money into my savings account or my checking account, earning you know one-tenth of one percent. I was actually buying some specific stocks while they've been going down. And that March of that year, the sun came out, the seeds I had planted in the ground began to bloom. And my gosh, that part of the ledger really, really exploded. The other piece of it was I began to go through what I call kind of helping crush my debt. And, you know, one person affectionately told me one time, he said, Derek, I like to bite off more than I can chew and then chew like hell. And, and that and that really <laughs> fueled it. me because, and, and I want to be clear with your audience, Brian, I, I am not a cash only guy because I have found that Look, I, I couldn't have bought my first house and paid cash for it. I had to borrow it to get the leverage and then grow my net worth and the businesses I bought over the years. All of those were loans to buy cash flow. And so managed well, debt can be a good tool, but also it can be a big motivator for A-type personalities. You can say, look, I'm going to borrow this. And by golly, I'm going to pay this off in the next year because I'm going to add so much value to people's lives. My back is against the wall. So that was the lever number two that really turned the dial. And then the third one was just simply earning more money. What I realized was that if I really focused on even how were my fees structured and was I rowing in the same boat with my clients, not in this commission world that we live in in the financial services business where it feels like clients are getting fleeced and it's the advisor that wins. All of that had to go out the door and say, look, I'm on your side of the boat here. How do we grow this business together? And what happened was by doing that, we saw the value of the business grow dramatically. And so all, all of that was really, really powerful. But one of the things, and we might touch on this later on as well, is helping people to make more money. And one of the things that I tied into that to help grow the business was what I now call a generosity purpose. 
And especially for the business owners I was working with, several, you'll appreciate this, several realtors, independent business owners, salespeople, they were becoming commoditized in their community where people simply could not differentiate the accountant or the real estate agent or the salesperson. But what did differentiate them was their generosity purpose was a cause that they could connect their business to that their clients were like, Hey, I assume you're competent. I assume you're a good negotiator. I assume you're really good in business, but if you're going to be part of a cause that also is important to me, I will do business with you. And even thinking back 25 years earlier, that's what led me to grow my financial planning practice so quickly was people began to realize, hey, Derek likes education. He likes supporting teachers and student leaders. And people would call with money and say, hey, we want to work with you because not why I thought they would have because you're super good managing money, but because we're aligned with our values. And that was a differentiator. And I think right now, especially could not be more important to to use that tool as a way to differentiate your business more than And ever. I think a company's I think it's Bombus is the name of the sock company, right? Yeah, that yeah. have built into their platform for every pair someone buys, they're gonna give a pair away to needy or overseas uh, you know, communities and they keep a track of how many pairs of socks they've given away. And they also use it in their marketing, which is totally appropriate. And they let people know and there's another shoe company I think of that does the same thing. Yeah, Tom's, uh, yeah. Tom's Shoes. Yeah. Yep, 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 and they yep. do a great job and they've built it into their purpose. And then I would bring the other side, the coach in me goes, you know, my son went to college in SMU. So I'm very familiar with the Dallas area because I would be going out there for football games four or five times a year. And he had a couple of friends and they were masters in MBAs there in, in the Cox School of Business and whatever else. And they did this big thesis and they built out this business plan. And it was, I'm going to talk about it now because it went nowhere. It was called Cause Cakes. And they were selling these cupcakes that had causes in them and things to really challenge people to think in terms of generosity, thinks in terms of giving back and so on and so forth. And they built out the cause piece beautifully and they built out the, you know, how people would bite into a cupcake and they'd have this little thing like a fortune cookie in there and it, would, it was kind of cool and how it was done and whatever else. And they did this whole thing. So they asked me to take a look at it. They asked me to invest also. So I said, okay, if you want me to invest, now I'm going to look at it differently. So I looked at it and classic, you know, they got the Brian Buffini truth-telling thing. I go, the first rule of business is income less expenses equals profit. You guys have no application for that at all. They really hadn't dialed in how to make it at a certain price, how to sell it at a certain price, what the operation would cost. And I've seen that as well. And I call it so heavenly-minded, no earthly good. This is, I think it's the driving force. I think what you're talking about, look, you know, for me, we have a company that's proven it. Impact and improve the lives of people. Every employee at Buffini & Company, everyone we've ever had, they love it. We've been best place to work in San Diego five years, six years in a row now. And yet, I let people know that if we don't do this profitably, I'll shut it down. And the reason being is not because I'm money mad, but I don't believe I have any credibility to look at someone and help them coach them in their business, or any of our staff does, if we don't run a profitable business. So I think it's very, very important to have your ducks in a row. then. What brings people together, what makes it a great place to work, what brings all the juice, what brings the satisfaction is the change that takes place. And so to me, it takes more work. It takes more effort. You can't have it all. You know, you can't have, I'm going to treat my staff crap. I'm going to rip off my customers and then we're going to do some good. It doesn't work. And that hypocrisy that's built in there will ultimately undermine the entire organization and you'll find yourself losing a ton of people. And it's not a great way to live. So I think the higher calling is 
if you're going to be in business and you want to be involved in the cause, the business itself is a cause because you get to serve customers. The guy who really inspired me in it when I started reading on it was J.C. Penney. You know, J.C. Penney filed bankruptcy twice. And then in 1956, he started his department stores. You know, at the end of his career, they were giving away 90% of the profits of J.C. Penney. And the 10% that they kept was more than their 10th year in business of 100% of their profits. And so I think you're onto something. I know it works. I know it's a compounding effect. It's good for the soul. It's good for the spirit. And I do think that's the dynamic. And Brian, let me, if I may, let me, let me share a quick story with you. And I, and I profile this gentleman in the book. His name is Dave. He was a longtime client. And you know those relationships where you can just tell based on somebody's body language that something is off when you see them. Well, he had come in the office and we had had some small talk and he sat down and I said, Dave, it's written all over you. Tell me what's wrong. He said, Derek, I'm just not into my business anymore. Now, this was a a successful business guy in the local area, had built a successful manufacturing company, employed his kids. He had it all together. But over the past couple months, he realized he was sort of mailing it in. He just wasn't there getting meaning from it. And for whatever reason, the words just snuck out of my mouth and I said, is there a cause that you care deeply about? And he was stunned. His eyes got as big as saucers. And he said, you know, it's funny because a couple of years ago, my wife and I and our kids went to this village overseas. And he remembered the guide talking about that in this particular village, they really needed a schoolhouse because the kids were so undereducated. And he remembered exchanging glances with his wife and saying, hey, when we get back to the States, wouldn't it be cool to do something about that? Well, they got back. Everything got busy. But my conversation brought it all back, and I said, what if you did this? What if you set a goal that over the next six months, you were going to increase your sales by a certain amount, and you were going to take half of that sales increase and put it to fund that school? Well, he was like, well, okay, I'll try that. So he left and comes back in three months later. He looks younger. He's reinvigorated. He is back in the game. And he said, Derek, I got to be honest with you. I was a bit skeptical about what you said to do, but our business is already up 20% over the past three months. We've already funded half of that school. And here was an emotional time between two guys when I began to realize that the words I had used helped extract potential out of him. But to your point, I'll make your point really well, Brian, and that was that Here was a guy who was devoted to value of his clients and customers. He loved providing value and solving problems. But what happened was he began to share that, I call it now a generosity purpose, that school with his customer base, the referral spread, people wanted to work with him more, but it was all undergirded by quality service quality customer accounts and so forth. It wasn't just sugarcoating, hey, let's check the charity box. He was a successful guy and that just supercharged it. And I truly believe now it helped differentiate him from all the other manufacturing companies that people could have used because now people are buying a product or service even at a premium. You know, you talk about don't cut your commission. Don't do that. You're, you're placing a reduced value on yourself. And one of the things I love, you know, it's easy for people of my generation to knock the millennials. You know, I've never heard such a much maligned age group, you know, but I find it invigorating so many things with millennials. And especially they have a higher appreciation for work-life balance. They're not as driven economically. They're, they want to have a richer life. And they're also very conscious of the organizations they do business with. And are they contributing and helping or are they not? 
Are they making the, the world a better place or a worse place? And there's a lot of social consciousness now in business, which I think is a cool thing. In the book, you talk about having a generosity purpose. And, you know, I think people are with us right now. And they, they'd like to have this and they'd like to have this connected to their business. They'd even like their customers in some cases to know exactly what they do and have it be part of their value proposition. How does somebody go about developing a generosity purpose? What do they support? How do they do it? How do they get it in such a way that it does affect them? It creates that emotion that drives behavior. Well, what I think about is, think about when you were a kid. Was there something that you saw that really bothered you? But you said to yourself, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time or enough influence to do anything about it. Or fast forward to today, as you look in your, not the world, because the world can feel so overwhelming, but as you look in your neighborhood, as you look in your local community, it, are, you, are you filled with uh, passion or compassion toward people in poverty or the hungry or sex trafficking or wh whatever the issue is that you feel deeply connected to? For me, for example, it was education. You know, I always thought that wouldn't it have been cool if somebody like me or somebody like you, Brian, came to visit me as a high school kid and pumped belief into me and said, man, you can do this. Well, I wanted to be that for those students in my alma mater. So I began to give a, a gift card, $25, to a student leader of the month. And I gave a $50 gift card to a teacher of the month. Now, for me, that was nothing. But to those people, it was like winning the lottery, for goodness sakes. And so I would go there and take a picture, put it in the paper, and calls began to come in of, hey, we love how passionate you are about education. We want to work with you. And so what I would ask people to ask themselves right now is, when you think about helping solve a problem, a pain point in your community, how does it make you feel? You know, if you laid your head on the pillow tonight and you felt like, I made a contribution to that person's life or this cause, and you felt like, man, I really feel fulfilled today, that is the tip of the spear in terms of what that looks like. So what you can do is you can ask, hey, what's a passion that's important to me? Or you could say to your very engaged customer base or your clients, hey, I want to get more involved in the community. Is there a cause that you care deeply about that we can rally around? Because ultimately, it's all about building a sense of community where people feel like they're part of something bigger. You know, when I would have my Christmas parties every year, we would always give a donation to a specific cause and it was a reminder that, hey, my number one goal in business is to do good business for you. I want you to make a whole heck ton of money so that you can enjoy your family and you can do the things you want in life. But just so you know, a part of that is helping make this community better. But just so you know, the number one goal is for you to make money. But I want to make sure that the community is better. So that way we're not sugarcoating and we're giving them really bad service and we're helping the community because that really makes the community and yourself look really bad, in my opinion. I love it. One of my favorite stories, and we have a lot of stories, as you know, from all the coaching clients and whatever, but we had a lady in um, early 2000s, and she was a battered wife, as they'd say at home. You know, She was married to an abusive dude. She had a couple of young kids. She was terrified to leave. She got her real estate license secretly at night when he wasn't around and whatever else. And he was a very dangerous dude. And uh, she had a friend who was in our program. And so she basically one night 
Her husband's off drinking. She loads up the van. She takes whatever she can. She takes the two kids and herself, and she takes off. And she, that's where she started her real estate career from. And was eventually in like a halfway house for battered wives, starting her real estate career. And it was just, you know, traumatic. And she's there talking to people. Up, and she was in an affluent area, and she's trying to help people sell their homes. And whatever she feels like, a, you know, like what she feels like and everything in her life is a failure. Anyway, she got a few things going on. She was desperate. She got a few things sold. And then she got into coaching. And the coach helped her with her process. First, to make peace with it herself. And then we have a phrase around here that says, out of your pain often comes your purpose. And so she ended up in her second year of coaching setting a goal. We had these 10-day goals. We have these 10-month goals. And we had these big, hairy, audacious goals. Well, her big, hairy, audacious goal is that she was going to fund a home for battered wives like herself and help women develop professionally a safe environment because she was in a place that wasn't great, but it was better than where she was. That gal became, you know, we have a lot of practitioners, tens of thousands of customers who were in coaching. This gal was, when we said, hey, send out 50 notes in a month, the 50 notes happened. When we said, make that many calls, she made the calls. She didn't just dig herself out. She didn't just get a chance to get on her own two feet, you know, pay for a divorce, which was a big goal at one stage. Get custody of her kids. Eventually bought her own home. But about seven years into the gig, I went there for the opening ceremony of this home that could, it was split into three. It could house 12 women and their kids. And she was a, an agent that probably was making, you know, when we met her, maybe 50 or 60,000 a year. When she got her up on her feet, she was making about 100,000, 150,000 a year. But when the cause came along, she was making a million dollars every year. And she used a big percentage of that to pay for this home, to give to these women what she needed. And out of her pain came her purpose. And the difficulty that we would sometimes have of people doing the disciplines of making the calls and writing the notes and doing the Popeyes and doing the things to generate the referrals for her were effortless because all she ever thought about during her day was not the work or the completion, but she'd picture the face of a lady that she'd gotten off the street out of an abusive situation into a home. She basically more than quintupled her production and was every day had a sense of cause of it. By the way, she's still going today. She's in her 70s today. This is 20-some years ago. She's still doing it today, and she's still selling today, and she's still fun. She has now two properties that she does with this. So I know it's true. I've seen it. I've witnessed it. I know what you're speaking about is true, and I think if it's done right, where it's authentic and it's connected and it's interacted, you do better business. You'll be better for your business. You'll be better for your customers. You'll be better as a human being. And then ultimately, you have this cause that drives all your activity towards it. And you get to leave the world a little better than you found it. And so how good is that? And you get to leave the world better every day. And I think that's where so many people get tied up. It's all about when I die, then these dominoes start to fall, Brian. And that that's why I think it's so powerful because, you know, I think COVID, I'm no psychologist, I'm no doctor, but I know COVID has affected people in ways that we don't even know yet. But I think it's made them re-question why. Why do I work at where I work? What impact am I really having? And is my life going the direction that I really want it to go? And I think that's why it's a big reset button. You know, it's the button that successful people press often the reset button. And I think this is a time for people to press it and ask themselves, what is it that I want? If I had a blank uh, canvas right in front of me now and I wanted to paint, what do I want this next chapter of my life to look like? 
I, I think the meaning that people would attach, the cause of their cash, the, the, the purpose to their profits, all of that would really help drive them in ways that they never thought possible. And it would automatically psychologically dismiss any inkling that money is bad because it's not. It now can be used for really, really good things. It's beautiful. I think a lot of people are reassessing their life. We know we've had the great resignation. Over 30 million people have left their jobs and people are really trying to figure things out. And one of the most successful books written in American history is called The Purpose Driven Life. The opening line of the book staggered me when I read the book because the opening line says, it's not about you. It's a short little sentence at the opening of that book. It's not about you. And purposes never are. So he is the CEO of Good Money Framework. He is the host of the Good Money Podcast. I hope you'll start listening to that and enjoy that. And he has a brand new book called The Good Money Revolution. And uh, it's been a trip having you on here today, Derek, and seeing your progress. I know you're a fan of our show. We have five questions we've asked everybody. Doesn't matter if it's Magic Johnson, Matthew McConaughey, Derek Kinney. Everybody's got to go through the gauntlet. So here's the five questions I got for you today so folks can get to know a little bit more about you. Number one, what's the single best piece of advice you've ever received? Well, it's what my dad told me. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. He, uh, he came to the precipice many times of taking a risk himself, but he couldn't quite get there. But his words, and not his actions, but his words caused me to achieve a lot of success that he would often tell me later in life, Derek, I can't believe the stuff you've done. But it was because of what he didn't do that caused me to do some things. Is he alive today? He's not. He passed He's from not. cancer about a year and a half ago. Well, he's got to be awfully proud of you. He's got to be awfully proud of you. So you've lived it, you've done it, and now here you are. You've ventured and gained, my friend, and now you're in this new environment, and I couldn't be more excited for you. What's the one talent or gift you wish you possessed that you currently don't? You know, I I wish I could spontaneously remember every person's name that I needed to. It, it, It tends to come over time. Um, but I, I can kind of work through, you know, how did I serve them in the past or the relationship? But I think if I could just instantaneously remember a name, I had a chance as a student, I had a chance to meet president Clinton at the white house of all things. And, uh, his demeanor was so powerful. I can see why he had such the aura because he made you feel like you were the one person in his world. And that's the feeling I I hope that I can help some people have. What book has been most instrumental in your life? I heard Go For It earlier on. Yeah, Go For It by Judy Zarifa was a powerful book. You know, I would answer that by what books do I read every year? Uh, The Richest Man in Babylon by George Clayson, uh, one of my favorites, and also a book by T. Harv Ecker called The Millionaire Mind uh, is one of my favorite books. And those two books, they're easy to read, but they're so powerful and they take me right back to my core every time I read them. I've enjoyed them both over my life, for sure. Yeah. If you're scrolling through the channels, there's one movie on, and every time it's on, you stop and watch it. What's the one movie you've watched over and over again? Well, it'd be a tie between Shawshank Redemption and The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I've landed at that airport in Iceland, and uh, oh. so I, it's uh, it's very, very close to home, and you know, isn't it interesting? I mean, Shawshank shows up, I'd say, 80% of the time I ask that question. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't matter what the background is. But 
People would be wise to study the arc of that story and play it out in other places. Mm -hmm. Last but not least, a big question for us here at the It's a Good Life podcast is what does a good life mean to you, Derek? You know, as I think about my kids uh, and my wife, I I think about impact and meaning. And, And I hope to goodness that I am transparent enough with them that they see a, a failed person that they can learn a lot from. I would hate to have lived my life and have not shared with them the mistakes I've made so that they can help become more fuller versions of themselves. Well, Napoleon Hill talked about uh, successful failures, and those were the people he wanted to study and model. And uh, this is kind of cool for me. You know, I sat in seminars of Zig Ziglar and Jim Rohn and all these different characters that I learned from and that inspired me to go and pursue my career. You know, and now you're turning the favor to me where you've been in a bunch of our seminars and now here you are and and pursuing your purpose and passion. And I'm excited for you. Congratulations. I know it'll be inspiring to so many people here today. And there might be a few folks, again, you might want to run off to the races and do what Derek's doing. But, you know, he also did the work to go build up his business where he could sell it. And there's a journey there to be had. But I wish you nothing but the best of success. I thank you for being on our show today and uh, really wish you the best of good luck with everything you're doing and helping people understand about how good money can be. Brian, thank you. It's been a joy to be with you. I loved every minute of it. Thank you so much. You bet. Well, as uh, we finish off here today, we're going to finish up with someone who knows all about good money, my mother, Therese. And uh, she always was able to get the right thing at the right time, whether it was a present at Christmas or it was was a neighbor in need. She always seemed to have, we didn't have much, but she seemed to have little stashes of it all the time to do good work. And she's a good woman. And at 91 years of age, she's still one of the major inspirations in my life. And she's going to finish off our Good Life podcast today with an Irish blessing. And I hope all of you have been blessed by today's episode and will be blessed by the words my mom has to share with you. Over to you, Therese. May the road rise up to meet you. And may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time.